Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm the payments professor, Kevin Olson. And, well, I've got a real treat for you today. You remember a couple of weeks ago or a couple of podcasts ago, we had Nancy McKenzie with Affirmative Technologies and she's our friend in fraud. And wait, 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 I'm see, she was <laughs> talking about friendly fraud with us and we ran out of time because there was so much when it came to friendly fraud to talk about. Now, when we left off the conversation, there were all kinds of things. You might recall the refunders, rebate gate, talking about synthetic IDs insider fraud, identity theft schemes, money mules, so much went into that session. But when we left off, we were talking about identifying the suspicious activity. What are you doing? How to work with data analytics, working with AI, working with machine learning. And you might remember, Nancy said, it's gonna continue to grow. It's gonna keep getting bigger. And that we've all gotta be able to pivot quickly. We've gotta all be able to find solutions that will shift adapt and grow, but also be flexible enough. So everybody, I want you to know, let's welcome back Nancy McKenzie. How are you today, Nancy? I'm great. How are you, Kevin? So good to talk to you again and see you. Can't wait to see you in person at some point, but uh, very, very, very good to see you. (laughs) So yeah, this is a very interesting topic, right? And it will continue to keep growing. and, And this pivot, I can't help but relate that to that hilarious scene from Friends with Ross and Rachel and Chandler trying to get that couch up the stairs, right? And he's going, pivot, pivot, pivot. (laughs) Chandler's going, shut up, shut up, shut up. (laughs) But, you know, I I related to that because, you know, unless we are ready to pivot, we're going to get stuck in that corner. And we're not going to be able to manage uh, these types of friendly fraud schemes. And, you know, having a system, like you say, that is going to um, incorporate uh, those data analytics that we need to have and having some business intelligence and machine learning behind it. You know, I really think that one of the ways you can maybe identify them using a solution like that is to um, try and identify the company name in that particular ACH credit or debit. And from that company name, what about the, uh, the amounts that associate back with that company? So for example, when we were talking on our last um, podcast, we were using an example of Target. And if you placed an order for, we'll say, $800 in merchandise and food and such from Target, and you hire a refunder to then lie for you, and you pay them 15 to 30% or something of that nature for them to get you the majority of your money back, you may have had $800 come out of your account, but then you're going to have a refund coming back of, we'll say, 630 So Mm -hmm. if you can take company names and then match them to an amount and then adjust your system, because that's what business intelligence and machine learning can do is it can say, okay, from my original amount of $800, now I see a credit coming in and it's about 15 to 30% different, then you know what? Red flag. This might be a case of friendly fraud. 
And so I was asking one of our developers here, our senior um, engineer, would that be possible? Would, would you be able to get our engine to, to, to look at those things? He goes, yeah, you know, I think you could. And I go, well, then, you know, I think you might need to also then have a time period around it because you're more than likely, if you're going to have an $800 debit from, well, tar and I'm picking on Target, but $800 debit from Target and then a credit coming in within maybe a week, 14 days, would you be able to put a time period on that too? And so when you start thinking in those uh, ways, I think that there is a way that financial institutions can start finding this friendly fraud. That's just okay. kind of well, my here, thought process. Let, let me ask something. So you brought up pivot, you brought up friends and, the, <laughs> and there they are with the couch. And one of the things that's happening in that scene is it's the communication and understanding. It's one party thinking, hey, we're gonna turn this way and another party thinking we're gonna turn this way, but yet another party going, wait, what, what are we doing? And isn't that part of what needs to actually happen too is the same language be spoken, we have that communication between all the parties that are involved and know who's going to do what when. And isn't that similar to what you're describing there is knowing what parts you need to have, what you need to be looking for, and the timeframes that you're looking for them within. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> before we started this podcast, Kevin, I was speaking about a presentation that I'm going to be presenting next week. Um, where we build a risk management program, and I call it Jenga style, because when you're playing the game of Jenga, you're taking those pieces that are nicely fit together, and they make a solid tower. And if you compare that to the way a risk management program is to be built, if you had to pull a piece out because you had a pivot, you had a shift in your environment, you shouldn't have to worry about the whole risk management program you know, toppling over, right? Mm -hmm. But in 2020, I think the biggest pivot that we all had to make was overnight, we had to start learning how to do things remotely and not have people in the office. And all of our tasks shifted. And so I think that this is such a hot topic in 2021, because we all learned such a great example in 2020 about the need for us to have this solid, very stable risk management program. And if we don't replace, revise, and uh, start building that into a nice, solid Jenga tower, we're going to continue to have issues and problems and things are going to continue to keep falling apart and allowing fraud, friendly fraud, to continue to keep happening. And I just, I just am uh, very passionate about the fact that it, you have to have a solution that is going to be able to bring all your data into one location where you're going to be able to manage your risks in one platform. I like to call it a payments risk management platform, right? Wait, because wait, wait. Let, need... let me make sure that I get this right. <laughs> when you say all your data, this is something that I've talked to with many an institution and mm -hmm. friction and fragmentation is what I call it. You got replace and revise. I got friction and fragmentation to where we are seeing more and more that the payments are in one department, but that's not always mm -hmm. true. What mm -hmm. happens is some people look at only ACH. Some people look at only wires. Some people look at only checks. So when you say all your data, do you mean all your payments data or are you just talking one payment channel? 
Well, it depends because you're right. Financial institutions are organized differently depending on what size, uh, what they offer. There, there's just a variety of different ways a financial institution can be, you know, organized, the organizational chart, right? So it depends, Kevin, because you may have financial institutions that do um, manage the risks of all of their payment channels in one place and others that they separated out. But having that capability to be able to either do all or one at a time, I think that's a very valuable thing mm-hmm. and, and, a, and a very wise way to manage your risks because there are so many um, potential gaps in your risk management system if you're trying to do everything manually, right? And automation, you've just, you've got to have those types of components in your risk management program these days. And uh, finding Financial friendly fraud is all part of this. You know, I don't believe that you're going to need to have just a fraud detection program or a fraud prevention program. Um, that That's not just it. You know, we've got some fantastic software providers out there that just offer fraud detection, and that's great. But they may not then offer risk management things, too. So mm-hmm. I don't think you, 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 I'm not talking about the fact that we need to build it off of a fraud risk management, I mean, a fraud um, detection program. Those are great, but there's other, there's other risks that go along that you need to identify and using your artificial intelligence and your machine learning against, um, you know, all your different transactions that are going through your system, that is necessary for you to be able to identify some of these new schemes and scams that are that are going on so that's that's kind of where my thought process is going well you know the thing though is you mentioned these new schemes these new things are happening and you talked about too last year Mm -hmm. we saw this huge shift because well change is always Mm -hmm. happening but we saw it happen faster and more rapid than ever before Mm -hmm. with what can you do to identify these schemes at the earliest possible point? And I bring that up because I know in most situations, what happens is you get hit and you suffer a loss due to these schemes. And it's usually multiple financial institutions, but the individual one, let's say, and then you discover what's going on. And then you do what you can to stop the bleeding in many situations and attempt to be able to recoup funds. So, you know, I'm going to throw a real hardball at you here and say, what can I do to be able to identify it before it happens? Boy, Kevin, you know, you have hit the nail on the head of what I'm really, really um, focused on is the fact that we have got to stop this reactive way of risk management. We have got to do it as a proactive manner. And how do you do that? Well, I believe you do that when you have a solution that is capable of bouncing your transactions off of hundreds of millions of other transactions using machine learning, trendings, algorithms. Now, I'm not talking about privacy, data privacy uh, sharing. No, because when you're when you're talking machine learning and algorithms and trending, you're not sharing um, 
privacy issues or, or data amongst the financial institutions, you're only using it in your engine and that doesn't get shared, right? So when you have a financial institution who let's just say might uh, process uh, 100,000 transactions a month, okay? That's fairly common. But you bounce those transactions off of hundreds of millions of other transactions because of the solution that you're using. And that solution has a machine learning engine. It will identify, you know what? We've got uh, these other transactions that we're seeing a lot of activity from one certain company or one um, variety of amounts. You know, in the pandemic fraud that we were seeing, we were seeing some very large dollar amounts. Those things came popping out of the system. And you know, and when, when that started happening, our engineers, they saw this happening because they were reading those algorithms and they were like, hey, you know what? We've got something going on here. They were able to turn that around and provide the financial institutions with a new filter that they input right, right in there. And they were able to stop those, all of those crazy like PPP loan frauds that I know that there was like $56,000 amounts going in like nine times in one day into certain customers' accounts. Those things were able to be stopped because the financial institutions using the, the solution that we're offering with the machine learning, they were able to identify those things. So how do you proactively do that? You, you need a solution of some sort to um, help you do that because you're not gonna be able to find that manually. You know, there were some financial institutions that were going through the reports looking for stuff, right? Right. It's like, how, how are you get? that's just unreasonable. Right. You can't. Well, okay. it, I, I like analogies. So let me, let me put this in terms that maybe people understand a little bit differently. I look at this kind of like what we see, I'd say, in the healthcare world right now. There have been so many scientific studies done for so many years that if you have certain indicators, like for example, PSA levels indicate you might be having, you know, a risk of cancer coming up. High blood pressure or blood pressure within a certain range means that, you know, you might be prone to certain heart diseases or a stroke. There are these indicators though, that through years of study mm -hmm. and research, that if you start getting in these certain ranges, Hey, it's the potential this is going to happen to you. Are you saying that potential is what we're doing with fraud now because we've got the data, we've got the history, we've got the research. We can say, because we see this, even though it hasn't happened yet, you're at a risk and a potential that it's going to happen. No, that's a great analogy, Kevin. Um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, you know, um, that we're talking friendly fraud right now, but there's some additional um, proactive risk management steps that you can take by using these types of um, tools and, and, and analogies, right? Uh, one of them, going to relate it right to ACH origination, is the return rate monitoring. I have an absolute pet peeve when I hear financial institutions say, oh yeah, we do return rate monitoring. We use this or we use that. And we look at it at the end of every month. Oh, okay. So you might be having an originator that's over the 0.5% for unauthorized uh, returns, debit returns, 
and you're looking at it at the end of the month, but they've been over that limit for three weeks now. Now, how would you look at that as a reactive way or a proactive way? No, that's a reactive ray, way of, of risk, right? I mean, okay, yeah, it is. you're saying so, they go in and they look at see what the return rates are because there yeah. are acceptable thresholds and unacceptable thresholds. And if they're looking at it at the end of the month when it's already been above the threshold, that's reactive. But how do I turn that into proactive? Okay, easy <laughs> automation and with the data analytics and the ACH uh, origination files going through a system of such, then it will identify those debit returns, put them into the right buckets, calculate the correct percentages. And as you are getting close to a 0.5% level, or you even start just increasing, set an alert on the system to notify Kevin Olson that you've got an originator who is getting close to or has and had a, an increase in unauthorized um, debit returns. And, and you know, there is a, a particular rule that I don't think a whole lot of people actually really truly look at, but I, I believe I am going to say this correctly. So I don't, I have my rules book right here if we really need to check it out, but I believe it's- we, For those of you listening, we are true rules geeks. We really very rarely have them outside of arm's reach. Mine's actually sitting right there behind me, Nancy, because I recorded with it. Yes, there she, she's showing me the rules book. All right, but what rule with, are you going to With gonna my quote? tabs. 2.17.2.2 letter A. It happens to be in regard to um, your return rate monitoring on unauthorized debit returns that um, you are to uh, start following a defined plan to reduce the amount of unauthorized returns. So when you look at that, a defined plan, okay, so how many of you financial institutions out there can honestly say, yes, we have procedures for remediation of our debit originators when their unauthorized return rates are starting to go up? Honestly, how many of you have procedures? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because, I you know, laugh at such a serious <laughs> subject, but you and I both know the answer to it because both you and I have been in that situation where the, we're the ones that get the phone call that they say, hey, I've got this letter from Nacha. I'm in trouble. What do I do? And then we go through right. and help to set up a plan. But g give them a teaser at least. What What's that plan look like? What that plan looks like is that if you are alerted that you have an originator that is starting to increase their debit returns. Okay, and so now you have the opportunity to contact your originator, try to determine how come your unauthorized returns are going up. Have that conversation with them. That can be part of your plan. What is that conversation? Well, maybe they have a change in staff or maybe they have um, uh, started a new process that they are now doing some collections instead of just doing um, a vendor payment or something of that nature. Find out from your originator what they're actually doing and talk to them. That's a huge part of the remediation plan. So, but I it's believe. not a, what are you doing? It's more no. of a, you come in and say, hey, has anything changed recently? Is yes. there something to say what's causing this? 
Yes, exactly. Okay, what else do you have in that conversation that to be proactive to make make this happen? To to be proactive. Um, another thing is um, to. And this is another one that I know a lot of financial institutions struggle with is to risk rate your originators and using an automated process and risk rating your originators is going to allow you to um, not just understand what your originator is doing, help you complete your originator reviews because um, again, the FFIEC this time is recommending that you risk rate your originators, right? Most of the time, the financial institutions don't even know what that truly means. What am I supposed to calculate that on? How do I determine that? I always tell financial institutions the very first place you should go when you're trying to de develop a risk rating scoring system is to go to your Bank Secrecy Act and your customer identification program, your CIP. Because for years, we have been required as a financial institution to have customer identification processes that will risk rate your customers. So if you're doing this, this, and this to risk rate your customers, why are you going to want to start to reinvent the wheel when you're trying to come up with a risk rating program or scoring system for your originators? They are your corporate customers. They are your business customers. You already have something to risk rate them as a customer. So start there. So th this is going to be, again, I got to use the analogies. If we're at the Olympics and the Winter Olympics and the skating <laughs> event and the U.S. gives a 9.9 and the Russia gives a 9.9 and then the French judge gives a 6.5, there's actually got to be justification and reason for why those scores are actually given, not just it was an arbitrary number picked out of nowhere. Right, right. And, and again, if you have a solution, good analogy, Kevin, um, but if you have a solution that will allow you to take all the data that you have in regard to that originator and use it to calculate what those risk levels are, you have it documented. There is no question on how you will then come up with that risk rating for that particular originator. And what's even another proactive way in managing that risk that those originators are bringing on is have the system alert you when that risk rating changes. They start having some different activity. They start doing a lot more debits than the, what they were before, or they start going with a larger dollar amount. Maybe they're doing um, a different type of SEC code. They have now included WEBs into their um, origination process. Whatever that case may be, when you have a system that is going to use that um, data analytics in that machine learning and calculate their risk rating and then say, whoa, there, you've got some changes here. They are no longer a low risk originator. Now they're going into a medium risk. And that can also change how often you actually do their originator risk reviews. Right. I just had a financial institution ask me today, what do you mean with an originator risk review? Well, you know, under the ODFI risk management rule, it it tells you that you really should be making certain that your originators are going to still be the type of an originator that you would be willing to have. From when you had originally 
onboarded them, right? So you should be reviewing and making certain that their security procedures are in place, making certain that they have not had any staff changes, making certain that they understand what all the rule changes are and that they are following the rules as well as reapproving them for their exposure limit and making certain that that exposure limit is at a level that is going to be suitable for them. Right, well, Nancy, I'm going to show my age, but I remember when that rule got updated to require a periodic review because of the things that happened. And that might be a podcast for another day because yet again, our conversations get going and we start running out of time, but I've got to hit you with another, another hardball here. All right. Okay. And it's one that I'm sure people out there are screaming into the, you know, their podcast, wherever they're listening to this podcast and saying, I don't have an automated system. I don't have the budget for an automated system, or I don't have the buy-in from senior management for this automated system. And I hear it a lot too. And you know, those are the people I feel mm -hmm. for. And the, mm -hmm. I know that they're struggling and trying to do what they can and doing what they can to stay up to date with the rules with what limited tools they've got. So let's answer this question for them. When it comes to those people out there that are don't have the budget, don't have the systems, what can they do to be in that proactive instead of that reactive? What can they do to be in rules compliance to still do something to at least limit, because you'll never eliminate, but at least limit fraud? Mm -hmm. You know, that's really a tough question, Kevin, because it, what I have experienced myself and what I kind of see in the industry is that, um, operations people in general have this personality of getting it done. And it doesn't matter how much you put on their plate. It doesn't matter how much, how many potatoes you stick on that plate. You can keep piling the potatoes on and they're going to give you the gravy because they'll get it done and they'll do it without a whole lot of complaint. And because of that, I think that we tend to find senior management saying, why do we need a solution? You're getting the job done. There's no need for us to be looking at something like that. But literally, one of the reasons why <laughs> I made such a big, huge change in my career back in 2011 was because I was at my limits. I was to my wits end. They had piled way too much on my plate. And I finally said, nope. And that's where the financial institutions then start realizing, wow, we lost Nancy. Now what are we going to do? Now, sure, they eventually found some, somebody to fill my shoes. But initially, after I left, they replaced me with three people. And that happens a lot in financial institutions. So how do we get the message out that this is your sustainability as a financial institution you better start looking at getting it in your budget because there's got to be some give at some point in time. And to answer the other part of that question of what, what can financial institutions do now that don't have those resources, that don't have it in their budgets? You know, I think one of the largest factors is just reaching out to your payments association for the assistance, you know, being part of their community connections and those, those group chats, finding out maybe some solutions that others are finding that works for them. Because one of the things that I made a point of in a, a recent webinar that I did 
is that, you know, we had a lot of holes in our risk management program. Our Jenga tower really looked awful, right? But you know what? We survived. We made it through and we, we made it work. And I think that the ones that were successful in making it work faster were the ones that were staying connected with other people that are in their same situation. So, you know, the payments associations and uh, the Center for Payments and uh, just your own networking is, um, I think, something that it doesn't cost anything. And it really can help with um, <laughs> sometimes just the emotional part of it. Just somebody else that knows what you're going through so you can keep your sanity sometimes is just all you really need to uh, maintain and, and go through another day, right? Wow. That, okay. I got I to gotta cut you off. I mean, this has been <laughs> one heck of a conversation and I know we could keep on going, keep on going, keep on going, but uh, it sounded like you ended where you started. You got to pivot. Yes, you got to pivot. You got to work with the other parties that are out there to do what you can. Even if you have the software and everything in place, you should still look at working with those other parties. All right. Well, folks, uh, I'm so glad to have had you on again, Nancy. And I got a feeling we're going to get a lot of comments on having you back yet again. I am the payments professor, Kevin Olson, and this has been the Payments Podium. And if you would like to be on the Payments Podium or if you have a topic that you'd like to have addressed on the payments podium, or maybe there's just somebody you'd like to have the payments professor quiz and ask some questions on the payments podium. Well, you can always email me and that's Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com and I'll do what I can to get them on the payments podium. Because what do we do here at the payments professor? What do we do on the payments podium? We do all we can to make payments fun, entertaining and engaging whenever possible. That's all we've got for now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.